Hello and welcome to BTN's Take 10 Podcast. My name is Alex from BTN.com and I'm really excited not only because it's football season, but also because this episode of this podcast is the start of something new and fun that we're, that we're trying out here at BTN. Uh, this episode is the first football focus edition of the 2017 football season and here on the Take 10 Podcast we'll be releasing football focus episodes each week throughout the, uh, the football season. And these all have a slightly different layout than what we've been doing so far on the Take 10 podcast, which is what I've been doing is uh, generally having on one guest and just kind of having a back and forth discussion with them. For Football Focus, uh, I'll be joined by BTN.com's Tom Deanhart every week. And Tom and I will chat with a national college football analyst to kind of put the past weekend's football events in, uh, in the Big Ten into a national perspective. And uh, we'll look ahead to the following weekend of football as well. So I'll still be releasing non-football focus episodes with guests during football season, and those guests may be football-related, they, they may be basketball-related, it can be whoever, really. But um, we're definitely going to try and get these football focus episodes released on the Take 10 podcast every week, preferably every Wednesday. So make sure you're subscribing to this podcast on iTunes, Podbean, and Google Play so you don't miss anything that we'll be rolling out this fall, because we plan to put out a, a ton of good stuff, especially... Uh, the football-focused editions of the Take 10 podcast. So this week, our national guest is Matt Hayes, the senior national college football writer for Bleacher Report. Matt, Tom, and I, in the next uh, half hour plus, we touch on both Big Ten and national college football topics, and I did my best to kind of weave the uh, questioning together so that the Big Ten's place in college football is put in a proper perspective by a guy that sees the entire picture, as Matt does, and that's something that Tom and I don't necessarily get to do since we're so focused on the Big Ten's 14 teams every uh, every Saturday. I think Matt did an excellent job of doing that. He's a fantastic fantastic writer, as some of you probably know and are uh, familiar with his work. And um, it was really good timing to have him on this week because of the pieces he's done in the past on UCLA quarterback Josh Rosen. Rosen has been in a really positive national limelight really more than ever these past couple of days because of his unbelievable comeback. He led... Um, for the Bruins against Texas A&M, they were down 34 points in the third quarter and uh, behind an incredible performance from Rosen. They beat Texas A&M, and he was also in the national spotlight last month because of some remarks that got some blowback in an interview he did with, with Matt Hayes uh, for Bleacher Report. So we definitely get into some heavy Rosen talk. Uh, I'm talking about his performance and, and some of the interactions he's had with with Matt for those pieces in the past and of course some heavy Big Ten talk as well and a bunch of other relevant topics from what was an incredible week one in college football. So let's get right to it. It's Take 10's Football Focus with Tom Deanhart and Matt Hayes. I'm very pleased to be joined not only by BTN.com's Tom Deanhart today and we're, we're very happy to have him calling in from St. Louis but we're also joined by Bleacher Report senior national college football writer Matt Hayes. Matt, thanks for joining us this morning. How you doing? That's my pleasure. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Absolutely. And uh, really, there's no one better we could have on for a national scope of college football, especially after the insane weekend we just saw. So to get this conversation started, I just wanted to kind of get your guys' initial reactions. We'll call them uh, initial impressions here, what we saw week <clears> one <throat> in college football. Tom, we'll have you go first, and we'll have you kind of get a, a zoomed-out macro-level version of what you saw from the Big Ten this weekend. And then we'll have Matt go even broader than that and go national. So, Tom, your initial impressions of the opening weekend of the Big Ten, a weekend where the conference went 11-3 and 
And those three losses were suffered by unranked teams to the, the top sixteen teams, uh, to top sixteen teams in the country. So, Tom, just let me get your uh, your thoughts real quick. I tell you what, I, I don't know if any team is more impressive than Penn State, the defending Big Ten champs, a fifty-two to nothing annihilation of Akron. They did exactly what a highly ranked team is supposed to do on that opening weekend: take care of business in a very impressive fashion. So, they caught my eye. Obviously, the way Ohio State rallied. And ended up burying Indiana, where it was impressive too. Uh, and Michigan guys, you know, uh, for all the talk about how their defense lost a lot of talent, um, it looked awfully impressive. I understand Ford, of course, was missing his best receiver and running back and had players suspended, but still, I thought the defensive effort from Michigan showed that maybe there will be a force to be reckoned with this year. Yeah, and Matt, maybe uh, your thoughts on, on uh, in a broader scope, maybe on the Big Ten at first and then also. On a national level, I'm interested to hear your initial reactions to the, what we saw in week one. Well, I, I think as far as Big Ten, I think a couple things stood out to me. The Ohio State defensive line is just fantastic. I mean, just absolutely ridiculous good. You know, two and three guys deep. They're going to win this year because of that defensive line, the way they get after people. Uh, you know, but on the other side of that, I, I mean, there's a little concern with that passing game right now. I, I think Ohio State has the guys on the outside to be very dangerous, but I think they got to get in a situation where – they put, and being writing is a terrific coach, puts JT Barrett in the right position to be successful. And, and, and I think if that can happen, I think Ohio State is as dangerous um, as, as anyone in the country. And I think, as well, the, the Michigan defense, wow, just fantastic. I mean, Don Brown, if you didn't think he was a terrific coach before, I mean, you got to look at what they did with all that they lost. I mean, what a fantastic defense. And, I, and as far as national, I think a couple things stood out. Speaking of defenses, I think this defense will be Alabama's best defense under Nick Saban. And there are no name guys. There are not guys that are coming back that are preseason All-Americans, guys that everybody loves. This is a fantastic group, the way they can run, the way they can get after the quarterback. Um, they're going to be very, very good and very hard to beat. Um, you know, and, and, and I think if DeAndre Francois doesn't get hurt, I really believe that there's a level right now in college football, two elite programs, and I think it's Florida State and Alabama. And I think there's a little bump to the next. And I think when you start talking about the next, I think what Kelly Bryant did at Clemson, and again, it was a you know season opener against another match team, but the way he played and the way they looked so fluid and so smooth in that game, uh, you know, I, I think you know, like a lot like what Tom said about Penn State, they went out and did what they were supposed to do. And I think the way they did it and the way Kelly Bryant played really makes Clemson. I think you got to sit up and say, okay, maybe Clemson is a team that can now continue what they've built the last few years. Sure, absolutely, and um, just personally, when I look at what I saw, I was only able to watch really the Big Ten games and then get a, get an outside glance at at some of the national games. But when I look at what transpired in Week One in the Big Ten as it relates to the rest of the country, I think seeing those lower level teams compete um, with, with middle and upper level teams in other conferences has really kind of shown that it's it's maybe an early indication that coaching in the conference top to bottom has clearly been upgraded in the last several seasons. Um, we've seen schools like Minnesota and Purdue uh, go out. They have the money to go out and get who they want and, and to build facilities to keep them there, draw recruits in. And I think we might be seeing the early fruits of that labor with a Maryland upset of Texas. And uh, like I mentioned, a Purdue that looked like a completely different team, hanging with Heisman winner uh, Lamar Jackson and number 16 Louisville. And even Rutgers, uh, they held their own for a little while against Washington. I was expecting a, a much more lopsided score than what we saw uh, Thursday night. So... Matt, I really want to get your thoughts on this notion. Um, do you, how much of this competitiveness from the bottom of the Big Ten do you think is a, is a result of what 
in my opinion, has been you know coaching upgrades and, and in general just a massive financial commitment to football pretty much across the board in the Big Ten. Like, Are we starting to see that pay off already, or do you think it's too early? Am I overreacting in week one here? No, I think it's everything. I think it absolutely means everything. You know, I had this argument on a radio show a week ago, and, and I contend this. If you get the right coach in the right situation and you've got an, an athletic administration, a president, they're all on the same page. You can win just about anywhere in the Power Five. If Urban Myers coach in Minnesota, they will be in the college football playoff in, in two years. If Urban Myers the coach at North Carolina State, they'd be in the college football playoff in two or three years. So to me, it's about the coaches. And I think when you look, you know, you start talking about those those middle to low level teams in the Big Ten. You start talking about the hires that were made. You know, PJ Fleck at Minnesota, I think, terrific coach. Um, you know, I, I think you start looking at those hires and you start to say, okay, well, Maryland got DJ Durkin, and DJ is as good a recruiter as anybody you're going to find. And you can tell how quickly they've upgraded that roster there. So to me, it's about getting the right guy there, giving him the money, the support, you know, to get the, to get to where they need to be and everybody being on the same page. If you have that, I think you can win big just about anywhere. Yeah, and Tom, we saw on the BTN bus tour that we just returned from, the investment really that the schools – not just at the top of the conference, but like we mentioned, the programs that have been at the bottom, the type of money they're putting into programs. I mean, the Purdue game against Louisville, that was the most fun I've had watching a Big Ten game in a while because they look totally different. They look totally competent on offense. So, Tom, it had to be, it had to be good to see schools like that, especially uh, Purdue for you, your alma mater, uh, playing competent football ahead of schedule, isn't it? Yeah, it sure is. And like you said, Alex, so the investment we saw these schools were putting into the facilities during the tour was awfully impressive. Um, the practice facility at Rutgers, you know, the indoor facility, the old Coldfield House renovation of Maryland, uh, the Athletic Village of Minnesota, um, the end zone in Indiana, the new football complex at Purdue. I mean, and then, of course, Northwestern just blew us all away, I think, with their lakeside facility and their construction going on, too, offices and locker rooms. So, again, uh, I think that really speaks to the money the conference has. And those schools, like Matt talked to, talked about or are investing that money in the facilities. And, and again, and, and, and more importantly, in, in the personnel, you know, facilities are great, but you have to have good coaches. And, again, Matt talked about the, the, the coaches, the conference has gone out hired, I think. And then the support staff, those coaches have been given, have been big. So it looks like the Big Ten has a pretty strong roster of coaches from a, 1 to 14 right now. Yeah, I mentioned the Big Ten went 11-3 and three in Week 1, um, but – can't be all sunshine and rainbows. There were some disappointments as well. Uh, my alma mater, Illinois, a very, very young team, nearly lost a ball state at home. Uh, Nebraska and Arkansas State came down to the final play. Northwestern struggled with Nevada. Uh, so, Tom, who would you say came out uh, flat in the Big Ten, and, and why do you think that team or those teams struggled the way they did? Well, again, uh, you alluded to some slow starts. Northwestern trailed at halftime. And Wisconsin really struggled in the first half of their game. So did Ohio State. Minnesota looked sluggish for most of its game. But, but Alex, you talked about Nebraska, Arkansas State. I mean, um, to have, a, I guess, a Sunbelt team come into Lincoln and be thrown into the end zone in the final seconds to try to win the game has to be a little disconcerting. Um, you know, Arkansas State threw for over 400 yards. And this was after a lot of talk about the new defense that Nebraska Bob Diaco brought going from a 4-3 to a 3-4. So obviously there's, there's holes that need to be filled and, and obviously schemes that need to be altered in order to button that defense up. Uh, because, guys, as we know, this week Nebraska goes to play out of Oregon. So uh, we know about their offense and their talent. So I think, for me, Nebraska's 
you know, uh, great escape was, was the biggest disappointment for me in week one. Matt, how about on a national level? Uh, who came out flat, do you think? Who, who disappointed you a little bit that you expected would perform better in week one? Well, I, I, I think, I don't know if they came out flat, but I think the last 19 minutes of the Texas A&M game against UCLA was just, I mean, just got awful. <laughs> I, I don't know how that happens. I don't, I don't know how you have a 34-point lead with four minutes to go in the third quarter and you somehow let that get away from you. And, and again, you know, they're playing a guy on the other side, Josh Rose, who might be the first pick in the draft next year. So, and, and that's, that's, you know, that's tough in and of itself. But if you've got that lead, you simply have to shorten the game. You've got to get to the point where you're not only running the ball, but you're taking all 40 seconds off every play, every one of those play clock situations. And I don't think Texas A&M did that. I don't think they tried to shorten the game. I think they continue with their up-tempo stuff. Even when they lost their starting quarterback, they put way too much in Kelman, the freshman quarterback. You know, and you're talking about a guy who who's on the hot seat, Kevin Sumlin. And, and you know, Kevin's got to win, and Kevin knows he's got to win. And, and that's that's a bad, bad look for them. I, I think another another team staying in the SEC would be Florida. You're talking about, you know, a coach there, Jim McElwain, who said he had his best offensive line in three years at Florida, and they were going to be the strength of the team. And, you know, he's finally got his quarterback, and he's developing a quarterback now, and that offensive line was just awful. Absolutely awful. And in quarterback, I, I don't know if they look any better than they have been the last two years. Yeah, and the score really didn't indicate how dominant Michigan was in that game. So it was definitely a good showing for, for Jim Harbaugh in week one. But uh, I want to get back to that UCLA-Texas A&M game because that was probably the most bonkers game in a weekend full of, of thrillers. And I turned that game on Sunday night when it was 38-10. to 10, I flipped away. I flipped back to it, and it was 44-10. to 10, And... Uh, Turned it off and then went out with some friends because I was not about to hang around and watch that blowout. So we got to where we were going, and I got a glimpse of a TV, and UCLA was celebrating, and I was, I was completely stunned. Um, like I said, they were down 44-10 to 10 in the third quarter for their quarterback. You mentioned uh, Josh Rosen led an improbable comeback, and the Bruins ended up winning 45-44 on, on a fake spike TD pass, of all things. So just an insane finish, an insane game. And, Matt, you're a great guy to talk to about this because you're, you're very familiar with Josh Rosen due to some pieces you've done on him for Bleacher Report. And uh, we'll focus more on him, the person, in a second. But, but first of all, um, I know you got into the game a little bit, but, but really, like, what the heck happened? How, how Was this more Texas A&M blowing it, or, or do you think Rosen and UCLA snatched that game away? Well, it was certainly a little both. But, but I mean, like I said earlier, you, you, you got 19 minutes to save a 34-point lead. you got to find a way to do it. And it wasn't just – it wasn't just shortening the clock, which or shortening the game by by using the clock, which would have been a very good move. You know, you know, there were also a couple points there where you know that game is won. I mean, the reality is, Rosen on one of his touchdown passes, it was a pick. The Texas A&M guy just got to hold on to it. The DB goes right through his hands into the wide receiver and he ends on touchdown. You know, Texas A&M missed the field goal, a short field goal that also would have been the difference in the game. Um, Rosen threw up basically a prayer, avoiding the rush. His, his uh, second-to-last touchdown, and it was caught in the end zone. So there were just so many different things, I think, that contributed to that game to make you think, my gosh, how in the world did that just happen? Yeah, and um, Rosen really had some, some mind-blowing numbers, uh, 491 passing yards, four touchdowns, including that insane game-winning fake spike touchdown. And, and for me, like, I don't understand. Like, we saw it in the Super Bowl. Uh, like, it seemed like an insurmountable lead, and, and there's just so many little moments that – should put a game like that away, and um, pretty much everything has to go right, and, and it did. Matt, you got to know Josh pretty well, I assume, uh, while writing about him. First, uh, you had a, a big 
profile about him last summer, and then uh, you, you had a story that really made some serious headlines in early August, a Q&A with him. Um, so I encourage everyone to read those stories on, on Josh Rosen if you don't know much about him. They're really fascinating reads on, on one of the most interesting players in college football, and I'll let Matt go into uh, more detail in a moment for those who haven't read him. But uh, first we'll get to the quote that was really probably taken out of context and made some waves and some controversy uh, last month. Uh, Josh Rosen said, football and school don't go together, they just don't. Matt, what was the larger context, first of all, he said that in, and, and how does that viewpoint reflect who Rosen is just as a person off the field? Well, I mean, I, I think the larger context is really what he said there. I think it's, his point was, if, if you're going to school and your idea is to get an MBA, to get a, a degree, uh, you know, to, to do what you want to do to set yourself up in life, there's, there's too much time used at football that, that, that supersedes academics. And, and his point was, you know, there are times when he has to take a class, but he can't take the class because it's only offered at a certain time, and that's when spring football was. And, you know, he looked at me and said, guess what wins out? So, I mean, it, 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 was, it was clear, I think, what's important to him. And he's always been a guy, I think, that's not just about him. Um, he's always been an advocate for players' rights. He's always been a guy who's talked about less fortunate players um, and how the NCAA can help them. You know, his point was that uh, you know there, there are players right now that play college football that, that really shouldn't be in, in college. And and the reality is, you know, you know we, we see some players leave after their third year for the NFL, and we all say, why in the world would that guy go? To, you know, try and go to the NFL? He's not going to get picked, and he doesn't get picked. And, and Rosen's response was, well, I'll tell you why he goes to the NFL because he has he has two decisions: you either stay in school and flunk out or you go to the NFL and hope and hope it works for you. And his point was, you know, universities have to do more to get to get players prepared not only to go to school and be successful at school, but to to get what they need out of school to become more of a success in life. And you know, this is a guy who you know and I I've heard people say, well he's a spoiled kid. He is as farthest from a spoiled kid as you could possibly be. This is a guy who when he was a senior in high school he was his team, uh, St. John Bosco, which is a, a you know an elite high school team in, in California. They were going to go play in Hawaii in the first week of the season. And probably a, a little less than half of his team couldn't go because they didn't have the money to go. So he spent his summer before his senior season, season when he could have been in Manhattan Beach soaking up the rays and playing with girls and you know doing what, what, what most guys going in their senior season in high school doing. He put on a suit and walked around L.A. and sold – a discount card for the local businesses outside of Bosco. And what happened was every time someone used that card, a percentage of that would go to, to the school. And the reason it was going to the school was because he was trying to raise money to get those kids on his team that couldn't go to that game to get them to go to the game of Hawaii. Every one of them ended up going. So this is not a kid who is a spoiled kid. This is not a, a kid who talks out of his mouth. Everything that he says means something. He does not say anything or just, just to say it and, and, and out of spite or just to say it and get people all around up. Everything he says has a purpose to it. Yeah, and to me it's really refreshing because, like you said, he seems to go all in on, on his interests away from the football field. And the beauty of it is really, you know, he's talented enough and he's shown it that no one's really going to tell him to shut up and, and, and can do anything about it really because we've seen what can happen to outspoken players when they're perceived to not be good enough to be that, quote, you know, distraction. But but he's a guy that, that can speak his mind and, and – and play on the field and, uh, you know, just the way football is right now, um, be good enough to not, like I said, be told to shut up. So, Matt, 
do you think a guy with a, a personality like that, with the way the football culture is, the way you know reactions are going to be to a guy that speaks his mind like that, do you think a guy with a personality like him, with the platform like he has at UCLA, good for the game of college football in general? I think it's fantastic for the game of college football because I, I, I can't imagine what's wrong with hearing a differing opinion. Why not? What's wrong with hearing someone else say, no, maybe we should do it this way? What's wrong with, with hearing a player say, hey, you know, maybe you could help us this way? You know, you, you're making millions upon millions upon billions of dollars off us. And, yes, I understand that you're giving us a scholarship, and I understand that we're getting training that we're not going to get anywhere else, and you're helping us get to the NFL. I get all that. But maybe there could be a little more. Maybe there could be a little more. What's wrong with that? What's wrong with hearing a different opinion, a different idea? Um, I, I liken him a lot to Aaron Rodgers when Aaron was in college. Aaron did kind of the same things when he was in college. Aaron's always been a very outspoken guy. And, and as far as on the field, they're very similar in the way they play. So and, and the funny thing is, is when Aaron, you know, when NFL draft came around, a lot of people were, were you know, taken aback and put off by Aaron's personality. And that's why he fell in the draft. And I don't think people are going to make that, that, that mistake again with Josh Roden. Yeah, and how about the, the quarterbacks that got down there in, in uh, SoCal? They got Josh Rosen, and then across town they got Sam Darnold. I mean, these are guys that are probably <laughs> overshadowing Jared Goff and Phillip Rivers down there in the Rams and Chargers, and you see why college football is so big in L.A. I mean, you just got these guys that are pretty much stealing the spotlight. Yeah, I mean, the Pac-12 has got some great quarterbacks. You, you, you look up north, too, Luke Falk and Jake Browning. It's a fun league for quarterbacks. Absolutely. And, um... The game that entering the weekend everyone was hyped up about, we, we talked a little bit briefly about earlier, was Alabama-Florida State. Um, honestly, the better game that night was Purdue-Louisville. Like I said, I think that was a more competitive and fun game to watch. But really, uh, that Alabama game, it, it kind of, to me at least, from afar, it was kind of a cautionary tale for teams scheduling Alabama early in the year because from the, the, uh, the score and then the recaps I've seen, it, it didn't seem that close. And, and we mentioned DeAndre Francois, that the quarterback went down for the season with a knee injury. So, Matt, did did the score reflect, um, I guess, how the game was played? Did Bama break a sweat, or did a lot of it have to do with Francois going down? Oh, I mean, I, I, I don't think you, you couldn't be any further from the reality. I, I mean, I, to me, Florida State with DeAndre Francois is just as good as Alabama. That game in the third quarter reminded me of that 2011 uh, Alabama LSU game, the nine six game that went into overtime that where you've just got NFL players all over the field. I'm telling you right now, in two or three years there will be forty guys from both those teams that are playing in the NFL. It was that good. Um the two defenses, I mean wow. Wow, those two defenses. To me, the two best defenses that I saw in the first week and not even close. Not even close. Um so I you know and I, I think you know you get a turnover here, you get a fumble there, you know, they had two costly situations where they cough up the ball and Alabama got it. Um, you got Alabama short fields, and, and you know, and then Francois gets hurt late, and, and all of a sudden that puts a different spin on the game. And believe me, it was not that game. That score was not indicative of, of what was going on in that game. That game for for close to three quarters was an all-out fist fight, and it was just fantastic to watch. So, can Florida State uh, come back from this and make the playoff even without Francois? Or do you think they're out of contention now? So, I mean, you got a true freshman quarterback, and, and uh, to me, I mean, that defense is so good. I mean, I think it can keep them in most games in, in, in the ACC, but when you start talking about, you know, Miami and Clemson, um, you know, and even Louisville, I, I think you got to start thinking, you know, there might be an issue right there. There might be a problem with them because they're going to have to score points. And, and, and I think if you're talking about a true freshman quarterback, 
Um, a guy who's never been in a situation where he's never been on the road in the ACC when it's loud and it's the third quarter and you're down seven and you need a third nine. You know, you're never in those situations before, so you don't know how these guys are going to react. So to me, to me, the odds are that they're not going to be there. Mm-hmm. So Alabama looks like a uh, playoff a favorite to make the playoff for sure. Everyone expected that. Um, so Tom and Matt, I'm going to ask you guys, which team from the Big Ten looks most playoff worthy? Tom, I know you were impressed with Penn State. Uh, Ohio State got it rolling, and even Wisconsin looked pretty dominant in the second half. So, Tom, right now, just early impressions uh, after week one, who do you think is most likely to come out of the Big Ten and make the college football playoff? Yeah, Alex, so those three teams you mentioned, right, they all have a shot, the Ohio State, Penn State, and Wisconsin. Um, but I guess, you know, Matt talked about the Buckeye defense, in particular the defensive line, um, awfully dominant. Talked about Kevin Wilson, the new offensive coordinator in Columbus. Um, you know, the work he's going to continue to do with J.T. Barrett to get more out of that vertical passing game. And, and, you know, remember, too, guys, Penn State has to go to Columbus, Ohio this year to play. That may end up being the difference. So I guess because of those those elements, I think you still have to tab uh, the Buckeyes as the team with the best shot from the conference to punch his ticket to that 14 playoff. Yeah, I think Michigan made a case and looked looked a little stronger than I expected, honestly. Just with so much youth in week one, it just shows really how talented they are, despite uh, you know, having some guys that are replacing a lot of a lot of NFL players and um a lot of upperclassmen. So so Matt, what do you think? What is the uh best Big Ten contender, I think, for the uh for the college football playoff? I am all in on Penn State, man. All in. And and it's not just that they have the two best players in the Big Ten. Uh, it, it, it's it's so much more than that. I, I think their receivers are terrific. Their offensive line is terrific. I think they're way better on defense than people thought they were going to be. And, and to me, they've got that chip now. And it's not just about being ignored for last year's college football playoff. It's so much more than that. I was at Big Ten media days, and and Penn State was literally like a, a second-class citizen. When, when, when James Franklin came in for his breakout interview session, it was like behind the Big Ten set. And the Big Ten network set – they were so loud there, it was hard to it was hard to hear James. And at one point James looked up and was like, Really? Really? And then he said to himself, just focus on the task. Focus on the task. And and I really think I really think that that idea of, well, it's just Penn State, it was a fluke, and they're playing off that. And, and they're a very good team. And I and, and to me, that's a team I think that's gonna use that shift the entire season and they're gonna play really well. And I, I, I wouldn't be shocked at all to see them in the playoffs. Yeah, that was one thing talking to those guys on campus when we were there a couple weeks ago, just how well they connect with Franklin and how he's able to motivate them. Like, I tried to get them out of outside their talking points of, you know, Akron, 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 the, the game one, week one that they're focused on, and they just wouldn't do it. They were completely, you know, bought into what, uh, what Franklin's been pounding into their heads. So, um, with Penn State, Matt, I'm curious to get your opinion. Do you think their program is going to be on a level now with, with that of uh, – you know, Ohio State and Michigan, that, that they've had this year now, and then now Franklin can, can keep it rolling and, and not, like you said, just be a fluke. And even beyond this year, can he, can he keep it rolling, keep recruiting going? Is it going to be a powerhouse just like, you know, Michigan and Ohio State look to be uh, for years to come now? You know what, Alex? That question right there is what fuels Penn State. That fuels James Franklin and Penn State. Do you, do you, the question is, do you think they could be on the same level? They are on the same level, and, and they know they're on the same level. The, 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 the big advantage for them right now, Alex, is, is guys like us who say, you know, when can they get to that level? Because that just motivates them. 
And that keeps them on the Akron, 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 Akron ideal. That keeps them exactly where James wants them. And, and James is a terrific recruiter. James is a good, as good a recruiter as you're going to get in college football. So he's going to get dudes there. They will have players. Um, the, the, the idea then becomes when you have a guy that can get players there, can you develop them, number one, and number two, can you keep them focused week after week after week? Because that's the deal when you're talking with 18, 19, 20-year-old kids. But to me, that question that you made and us talking about it, that's exactly what they want. They want that situation where people think, oh, they're not there with Ohio State and Michigan. All right, so we'll get away from the, uh, the more serious college football talk and get into the lighter side of things before we wrap up here. We'll, call it a, we'll do a segment every week called uh, the big moment that you saw this week. So it's going to be the coolest thing you saw in week one. Um, there were a lot of special moments across the country. Uh, personally, my favorite was, and it, it's been, um, it's really caught the nation's attention, was the Iowa Children's Hospital moment where all Kinnick Stadium turned around after the first quarter, waved at the kids at the top floor of the Children's Hospital looking down in the stadium, and um, really gave everyone in that stadium and everyone in that hospital a special experience, and that's something I think they're going to continue to do. So that was the coolest thing that I saw week one. There was a, a lot of other stories that, um, you know, away from the, like I said, the serious side of things that, that captured people's hearts and minds. So, so Tom, I'm going to have you go first. What's the coolest thing you saw? What was your big moment in week one of college football? Just a couple quick ones. Um, the Michigan State defensive back Tyson Smith, uh, of course, suffered a stroke shortly after the 2016 season ended. Um, didn't give himself much of a chance to play football ever again. I think he just tapped at 30%. What's he doing uh, the opener last weekend? He intercepts a pass and takes it back for a touchdown. So what a comeback from a stroke for, again, Tyson Smith, a Spartan defensive back. And then out west and in, in the in the Pac-12, you know, the USC center, Jake Olson, the blind, illegally blind football player, went in late in that game against Western Michigan and uh, executed a snap on an extra point. That was uh, – that was a pretty impressive and heartfelt moment. I think uh, everybody got a chance to get a glimpse of. Yeah, I remember, I think, hearing about that, that blind long snapper when he was a lot younger, and now it's kind of come full circle for him at USC, so that's a really cool story. And obviously the, the Tyson Smith example as well. Um, unbelievable what he's been able to come back from. You know, you think stroke, you think somebody that's impaired for the rest of their life, you know, physically, and then he's out here playing college football, so that's unbelievable. Matt, did you see anything uh, besides those, those moments that caught your attention in week one? Yeah, I, I think Tom nailed him. Absolutely nailed him. Um, I, I love the Iowa Children's Hospital way, too. I mean, I, I mean Kirk French gets it. I absolutely love that. Um, to me, it's Jake Olson. I mean, what an unbelievable story. And actually, as we're talking right now, I'm finishing up a story that's going to go on Bleacher Report uh, today about Jake. I spoke with Jake, and just what, what, a, what a fantastic life he's had, despite the fact that you know, he's lost his sight because of cancer. Just a, a, a terrific story. For sure, definitely check that out on, on Bleacher Report. I'm interested to read that. Sounds like, and obviously is, is an amazing uh, amazing story, Perseverance. Um, so moving on now, before we wrap up, we're going to get to some predictions for week two and, and what we're looking forward to uh, this upcoming weekend in college football. The headliner, I think, not only in the Big Ten but in the, in the country is, is Oklahoma and, and Ohio State. Um, Oklahoma, The top 25 isn't out yet, or if it is, it's just coming out as we speak. Oklahoma was ranked number seven in the country, and Ohio State it was uh, number two this past week. I don't think those will shift too much. Um, so before we move on, or before we predict that game, I want to hear one game from you, Tom, in the Big Ten that you're looking forward to, besides that headliner, 
and then we'll get uh, a national prediction from Matt. But first, Tom, one Big Ten game you're looking forward to in the in the uh, conference that is not Ohio State Oklahoma. I tell you what, I think it has to be the one we alluded to a little bit earlier. Nebraska had a war gun. Um, I want to see how Nebraska gets things buttoned up. We always hear coaches say and analysts say teams make their biggest improvement from week one to week two. And uh, we saw that Nebraska defense bleed a lot of yards and points last week against Arkansas State. Um, Bob Yacko paid a lot of money to fix that Nebraska defense. So, again, I'm eager to see how that defense looks in Eugene, Oregon, Austin Stadium, and if somehow, some way, maybe Nebraska could come back to Lincoln with a win over the Ducks for a second year in a row. Yeah, I can't imagine what the uh, atmosphere and the you know mood in Lincoln would have been this week if they would have lost that game to Arkansas State I can't imagine it's 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 very uh it's anything other than uneasy right now anyway just with how the defense looked but um at least they avoided total catastrophe and and we'll see how they stand up to Oregon out west Matt uh how about how about you give me one game you're looking forward to on a national scale that is not Ohio State Oklahoma I I think USC Stanford it's a a a huge game I mean USC legitimately struggled with with Western Michigan and that was a fourth quarter game And, and and Stanford, of course, looked very good against Rice. And, again, it was Rice, but, you know, it's Western Michigan if you're USC. So, I mean, I think you got to see a change in the USC defense. Um, I think he got – to me, Sam Donald didn't look comfortable out there either. I think you got to start throwing the ball more vertically with him. And, and Stephen Carr, wow, the freshman at USC, the tailback. Get him the ball, man. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, we'll conclude with uh, your picks for Oklahoma, Ohio State. Tom, we'll lead off with you. Uh, who are you picking in that showdown in Columbus? I know uh, Ohio State got the best of them in Norman last year. Who are you picking and why? You know what? I think I actually may give OU a slight edge in this ball game. Um, revenge will be a big factor for the Sooners, of course. You talked about them getting beat last week, or last year, I should say, at home by the Buckeyes. And uh, you know what? As much as I love the Ohio State defense, I think Baker Mayfield the Sooner quarterback may end up being the difference in this ball game. Um, Matt, you saw his line last week, 19 to 20 passing, um, over 300 yards. I mean, you can go on and on about the kid. Uh, and we saw the, some of the struggles Ohio State secondary had with Indiana's passing game. Uh, this is going to be a whole other level of athletic building talent that that unit's going to see. So I think it's going to be a fourth-quarter game. But in the end, I think Baker Mayfield may end up being the difference and the Sooners get out of there with a the win. All right, Matt, how about it? Uh, you agree with yeah, that? Yeah, I mean, I absolutely do. I mean, you know, it's funny because we were watching that Indiana game, Kirk Herbstreit saying, you know, this is far and away the best passing game quarterback and receivers that Ohio State will play all season. And I'm thinking to myself, does he know who they play next week? Does he know they still have Penn State on their roster, on the <laughs> schedule? I, I'm telling you right now, Oklahoma can protect better than Indiana, number one. That's first and foremost, which is a huge deal to get that Ohio State defensive line which, again, to me, best defensive line in the country, not even close. Uh, I think they can protect. I think they have receivers who can win individual battles on the outside, unlike the Indiana had one. Uh, Oklahoma probably has three or four, including a tight end. All right? And then, of course, you've got Baker Mayfield, who now you know, is third year as a starter. He's been through big games. The guy lived to play in these big, tight games. Um, and, and Oklahoma's got motivation from that loss last year. I mean, they were humiliating that game last year. So, yeah, I, I think Oklahoma's going to come in with something to prove. Hey, hey, Matt, real quick. Hey, Matt, real quick. Do you think they'll meet Miss Bob Stoops? Do you think Lincoln Riley can really deliver him? Well, I, I, I think clearly in a big game like that, you know, 
Bob Stoops, you know, there was a reason he had the, the nickname Big Game Bob. But, I, you know, this is, you know, first shot for Lincoln Riley. And I, I, to me, it's those players, they, quit, they they gravitated toward Lincoln so quickly when he got there two years ago. And, and he became such a popular guy. You know, and I think that's why the transition to him as the head coach has been pretty smooth. Um, and, and clearly this is a huge test for them. But, but I really believe they've got a situation where they can protect and they can protect long enough, I should say. They're going to get, he's going to get hounded by that defensive line. They're going to give up some sacks. But they can protect long enough and they can win on the outside to where they can take advantage of Ohio State's problem of coverage in the secondary. And they have problems of coverage in the secondary. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, Matt. I, uh, I agree that with all due respect to Richard Lego and, and Simi Cobbs and those guys in Indiana, I think Oklahoma's going to pose a uh, pretty tough challenge and probably a tougher challenge this weekend. Um, so, gentlemen, thanks so much for taking the time. That's all I got for you this morning. If week one is any indication, this college football season will be a lot of fun, as it, as it always is. So, again, thanks a lot, Matt and Tom, and uh, hopefully we'll do it again soon. Hey, yeah, right. Matt, thanks a lot, buddy. Thanks, our, thoughts and, our thoughts and prayers with you down in Florida, buddy, and I uh, appreciate you coming on. Thanks, Tom. It's always a pleasure, man. Take care. Thanks again to Matt and Tom for joining me, and thanks to everyone out there for listening. Again, just a reminder, we're going to try and get these football-focused episodes out on Take 10 every week, most likely on Wednesdays, to break down the Big Ten and all of college football. And we'll be doing this with Tom Dean Hart every week, and Tom and I will bring in a national football analyst just to get some perspective on how the Big Ten fits into the big picture. So thanks, as always, to Wes White for producing, and we'll talk to you next time on the Take 10 Podcast.